So you'll notice it's by magic that during the prayer, two guardrails have appeared. So this morning, I want to set an image in your mind. And the image is the image of guardrails. And to set that more firmly in your mind, I'd like to show you a set of three pictures, three sets of two pictures. And I'm going to have a question that's going to correspond to each one of the sets of the pictures. So here I'd like to show you the first set of pictures. And as you look at this, you'll notice that there are two roads. There is one road that has a guardrail. There is another road that does not have a guardrail. Both of them are on the side of mountains and there are cliffs off of the road. Now, I don't know about you, but I am deathly afraid of heights. So both of those pictures freak me out. But for the life of me, I cannot imagine ever driving on the road in the picture on the left. That's crazy. Question, which road would you rather drive on? The one on the left or the one on the right? Okay, there are crazy people in here. <laughs> the one on the right. Yes, we want to drive on the road that has guardrails. Next picture. Sets of pictures. Now, I don't know if you can tell, but on that picture on the left, that's a road. That's a road in the middle, that little gray weavy thing. Really? Again, which road would you rather drive on? The one on the right. The road that has the guardrails. And then finally, the third set of pictures. I know, I'm just like, oh my goodness. Our high schoolers are not on that bus on their way to Knoxville. Just to be clear. That's insane. Literally insane that anybody would drive on that bus, on that, I guess some people call that a road. But again, which road would you rather drive on? The one on the left. We want to drive on the road that has guardrails. Now why? Why do we choose the roads that have guardrails? Well, we choose the road that have guardrails because the guardrails create a boundary. And that boundary provides safety. It provides protection. And the boundary, the guardrails, are for our good. They keep us from going off the cliff. Guardrails are a good thing. They're for our safety. They're for our protection. They're ultimately for our good. God works with guardrails. Because God loves you and because God loves me, he sets boundaries for us, for our safety, for our protection, and for our good. He places guardrails along the path, along the journey. Why does he put those guardrails there? So we don't go off the cliff. You see, left to our own choices, please listen closely to me, left to our own choices and decisions, we often choose 
the thing that's going to cause us harm. Not only harm to ourselves, but harm to others and ultimately harm to our relationship with God. So because God loves us, remember what Mason said over and over again last week? God loves you. Because God loves us, he places, ouch, that was not, <laughs> it's up a little further this week. He places these guardrails along our journey for our safety, for our protection, and ultimately for our good. You tracking with me? The guardrails are also there for another reason. They're not only for our safety, for our protection, and for our good. God also places these guardrails so that we can demonstrate our love for him. Jesus tells us that if you love me, you will obey my commandments. If you love me, you will stay within the boundaries. If you love me, you will obey. If you love me, you'll stay within the guardrails. Not only so you go off a cliff, but we stay within the boundaries because we want to demonstrate our love for Jesus. Well, this morning we're going to return to the story of Joseph. And Joseph is a man who recognizes and honors the boundaries, the guardrails that God has placed in his life. Now, there are a number of guardrails, if we're honest, there's a number of guardrails that God places in our lives for our safety, for our protection, ultimately for our good, and also so we can demonstrate our love to him. There are a number of guardrails. But this morning, we are going to focus on what I think may be one of the most important guardrails. The guardrail around sex and sexual behavior. And yes, we are going to talk about sex in church. That's a good thing, people. So this morning, we're going to look back at the story of Joseph because we have a lot to learn from Joseph. So if you would, would you take your Bibles and would you open up to Genesis chapter 39? Genesis chapter 39. It's on page 33 in the Bible that the church provides, and I'd encourage you to follow along there. Now, if you'll recall, when we left Joseph, we, we had learned about Joseph that he was loved by his father Jacob and he was hated by his brothers. His brothers hated him so much that they sold him into slavery and they let their father believe that a wild animal had killed Joseph. At the end of chapter 37, we're told that the Midianites sold Joseph to a man named Potiphar. Potiphar was a high-ranking official in Egypt. You know, as we pick up the story here in Genesis 39, we see that although Joseph was a slave, things were actually going fairly well for Joseph and for Potiphar. Potiphar put Joseph in charge of his whole household. Potiphar trusted Joseph with everything. And everything Joseph did was successful. Everything Joseph touched turned to gold. We're told why in verse 2. Look at verse 2. It says, The Lord was with Joseph 
so that he prospered. While Joseph was in Potiphar's house, God was with Joseph. In your Bible, underline verse 2. God was with Joseph. And everything was going great until it wasn't. Look at verse 7, beginning there. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing in sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day, he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. Joseph ran out of the house. It says he ran. It says multiple times he ran. But I'm not so sure how easy it was for Joseph to leave the house that day. Think about this with me for a minute. Joseph was a slave. The text tells us that he was well-built and handsome. At the time of this story, he's between 17 and 28 years old. And he's propositioned by an apparently beautiful and attractive woman who holds all the power. And on top of that, there's no one around. No one would know. That's temptation. But Joseph refused. He ran out of the house. He immediately saw that what she was suggesting was wicked and a sin against God. Those are Joseph's words. He stated it openly to her. Look again at verse nine. No one, this is Joseph speaking again, no one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. Now look closely at the next line and underline it. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Joseph was more concerned with, with how his sexual immorality would affect his relationship with God than he was concerned about the potential punishment or the lack or the limitation on his personal pleasure. Joseph was concerned about how God felt about his sexual immorality. Joseph loved God and he realized that God loved him back. 
Joseph realized that he was blessed by God. And the blessing was that he was living in the presence of God. He knew that God loved him. And his response was love back to God. Joseph trusted the guardrails for a reason. Well, following Joseph's refusal, Mrs. Potiphar lied and told Mr. Potiphar that Joseph tried to assault her. The text tells us, look what it says. It says, he, that's Potiphar, burned with anger and he threw Joseph into prison. That doesn't seem right. That's not what we expect the outcome to be. That's not fair. And then look at verse 21. Actually, look at the end of verse 20. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Again, look at that. Verse 21, underline it again. It says the Lord was with Joseph. He was not only with Joseph in Potiphar's house, he was with Joseph in prison as well. You see, the blessing isn't defined by our location or our circumstances. The blessing is defined of whether God is with you or whether he is not. You see, God was with Joseph in Potiphar's house. He's with Joseph in a palace and there is blessing. He is also with Joseph in the prison. His presence is with Joseph and as a result, there is blessing. Too many times we get caught up in our location. We don't like our location or we get caught up in our circumstances and we think to ourselves, well, certainly God's not. No, no. It doesn't matter whether you're in the palace or in the prison. It's the presence of God that is the blessing. I came across a quote this past week that just stuck with me, and that's why I want to share it with you. Interpret your circumstances by God's love, not God's love by your circumstances. This morning, you may be wondering about your circumstances. You may be questioning your circumstances. You may be in a palace. You may be in a prison of sorts. And you're not really sure. You don't like your circumstances. You may need to write this quote down this morning. Remember it. Interpret your circumstances by God's love, not God's love by your circumstances. You see, Joseph, he recognized that God was with him. He was with him in Potiphar's house and he was with him in prison and that was the blessing that Joseph experienced. God's presence and provision in each of the places. And he knew the guardrail against sexual immorality and he knew that it was for his safety, for his protection and ultimately for his good. And he knew that keeping within the guardrail was his way to demonstrate his love for God. Now, it's not news to you that we live in a world that is obsessed with sex. Is that not true? We live in a world that is obsessed with sex. You cannot look anywhere and not see or have sex thrown in your face. You can flip channels on the TV Boom, boom, boom. You can go on your phone, Instagram, Snap, 
TikTok, pick the site. You can be on your internet reading emails and you get a, I mean, this world is obsessed with sex and it's not new. It's not like this is something that just has happened within the last few decades. We've read story after story in the book of Genesis and over and over again, there's examples of sexual immorality. So what is it we're supposed to do? Like we, we talk about guardrails and we recognize that God has placed these guardrails in our life for our safety, for our protection, and ultimately for our good. And these guardrails are also our opportunity to demonstrate our love for God. What is it that you and I are supposed to do? Yes, we're supposed to stay within the guardrails. But this morning, I'd like to share with you six principles Six principles that will help us stay within the guardrails. Follow me? Great. Principle number one is know God's beautiful plan. Principle number one is know God's beautiful plan. It is so important that we know God's beautiful plan for marriage and sex. He created them and designed them both, marriage and sex. They are his plan and they are part of his plan. And it is a beautiful and wonderful plan. Look at these verses from Genesis chapter two. And these verses are Adam's response to receiving Eve. The man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Here in these verses, Adam recognizes that he has a gift from God. His gift from God is Eve. It's like Adam in these verses is saying to God, wow, I can't believe what you've just given to me. And it says a man shall leave his father and mother and will cleave to his, with his wife and they will become one flesh. The man and the woman will come together and they will have sex and they will become one flesh. And that one flesh is a uniting of the physical, the emotional, and the mental of the man and the woman coming together with God's beautiful design and plan and becoming one. Marriage and sex are inseparable. They're inextricably linked together. In fact, you may remember when Isaac married Rebecca, there is a verse in Genesis chapter 24. I'd like to show it to you. And Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and took, excuse me, and took Rebecca and she became his wife and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. And Isaac took Rebekah and she became his wife and he loved her. Newsflash. Isaac and Rebekah did not go into the tent and stand before a minister and proclaim, I do and I do. 
because there were no marriage ceremonies like we have marriage ceremonies today. It was actually the sex that caused or made or united them in marriage. When he took her and she became his wife, that's what happened in the tent. You see, God has this wonderful, he has this beautiful design of marriage and sex being inseparable, of being inextricably linked together to bring a man and a woman together in one flesh, physical, emotional, and mental connection. And it's not only beautiful and wonderful, and it's not only just for procreation, that means for making kids, it's also for enjoyment. God designed it in such a way that it is meant to be pleasurable. It's meant to bring the husband and wife together and it is meant to keep them together. I would read some more verses for you, but I, I'm not gonna read them because I would blush, but I'm going to give them to you so that you can read them later. I'd like to point these verses out. Write them down in your notes. You can go back and read them later. Like I'm telling you, I'm serious, you're gonna blush. Proverbs 5, verses 18 through 21. The whole Old Testament book of the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 3 through 5. Each one of these passages demonstrate that God has a wonderful and beautiful plan for marriage and sex, and it is to unite, to keep together, and for a husband and a wife to enjoy each other. This is God's plan, and it is beautiful. Tracking with me? So that is the first principle that we need to know. We need to know God's beautiful plan, which leads us to the second principle. Now, before I go into the next five principles, there is a lot of truth in these principles. But God always balances truth and grace. So as we go through these principles, as we identify and recognize these guardrails and how do we stay within these guardrails, please hear God's truth, but also his grace. Hear God's heart for your good, for your protection, for your safety. And I pray that you will hear my heart as well. So the second principle, the second principle is that we must recognize sexual immorality. We need to recognize it. We need to know what it is. We need to actually name the sexual immorality. Look at what Joseph says again in verse nine. We read it before, but look at what he says. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? You see, Joseph knows the plan for marriage and he knows that violating that plan is a wicked thing and it's a sin against God. He knows that the sexual immorality is outside of the guardrails. Now, I think sometimes it's a dif bit difficult for us to kind of name or identify sexual immorality. We have kind of, kind of a hesitancy and we think to ourselves, well, I don't know, is it really that big a deal? Is it really that serious? I'm really not hurting anybody else. I'm just kind of doing my own thing. Those people are just doing their own thing. Does it really matter? Is it a big deal? 
Well, Joseph thinks it's a pretty big deal. And I think we should as well. Look at what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, Paul identifies a number of guardrails here, but Paul clearly has strong words for those who are sexually immoral, adulterers, and men who have sex with men. Sexually immoral here refers to any type of sexual activity outside the bounds of marriage. Adultery refers to anyone who has sex with someone other than their spouse. And men who have sex with men refers to men who have sex with men. It's strong, but it is clear language that identifies sexual immorality. Further, Paul is not calling us to moderation of our sexual impulses. He is calling us to complete abstinence outside of the bounds of marriage. Look what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. This is serious. Sexual immorality is a wicked thing and a sin against God clearly outside of the guardrails. And in just in case you think Jesus didn't have anything to say on the matter, I'd like you to look at Mark chapter 7, verse 21. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, Adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Again, here in this list, we have many things that are identified as being outside of the guardrails. But on the list is sexual immorality. Jesus here calls sexual immorality evil. Now the word translated sexual immorality here is the Greek word pornonia. And it is listed here in the plural. So it includes all forms of sexual immorality. It includes sex before marriage. It includes adultery. It includes pornography. It includes homosexuality. It includes prostitution, and it includes bestiality. All forms 
of sexual immorality are inclusive in these words of Jesus. And he identifies them as being evil outside the guardrails. Joseph, Paul, and Jesus all recognize sexual immorality and they recognize that that sexual immorality is outside of God's design, outside of the guardrails, and is harmful for us. Which takes us to our third principle. Our third principle is that we must flee from sexual immorality. You need to run from it. Now, I think this might be obvious, but I felt like I needed to share it so that we could write it down to know that this is the next step. You need to flee from sexual immorality. Back in Genesis 39, look at verse 12. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Joseph ran out of the house. He didn't stick around to talk and to reason with her. He didn't go into another room. He ran out of the house and he, I can only imagine, ran very quickly. We see this instruction very explicitly later from Paul, later in 1 Corinthians 6, where Paul explicitly says, flee from sexual immorality. And here's the thing. Please hear my heart. Some of you just need to stop watching the porn. You need to flee from it. You may need to get rid of your phone. You may need to get a flip phone. You may need to get rid of the internet. You gotta stop watching the porn. Some of you need to sleep, stop sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. You need to stop. It's not, oh, I love her, oh, she loves me. It's all, no, you need to stop. Others, you need to stop the homosexual activity. I know you're thinking, well, maybe God designed me. You need to flee the sexual immorality. Whatever it is, whatever form of sexual immorality you may be struggling with this morning, run and run fast. Create a boundary, create multiple boundaries. Tell somebody who loves you and so that they're able to hold you accountable. Flee the sexual immorality. And now you may be thinking to yourself, well, why? Why? Why do I have to give up the porn? Why do I have to stop sleeping with my boyfriend or my girlfriend? Why do I have to stop the homosexual activity? Leads us to our fourth principle. Sexual immorality causes harm. Sexual immorality causes harm. Look how Paul continues in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. 
Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Sexual immorality, sexual sin, all forms, all forms of sexual immorality hurts the one who is engaged in the sin. And this is so tricky because at first it feels good. But ultimately the sexual immorality will lead to harm. You will harm yourself. You will likely harm others. And ultimately you will harm your relationship with God. There's a verse in Romans In Romans chapter six, verse 23, Paul shares with us that the wages of sin is death. Now that seems like a very theological kind of statement. But this morning, if you're engaged in sexual immorality, any form of sexual immorality, and you are experiencing fear, if you are experiencing anxiety, If you are worried, if you have anger issues, if you feel broken, if you feel like the world is overwhelming and you don't know if you can't go on, if you are feeling any of those things and you are engaged in some form of sexual immorality, at least part of the reason you are experiencing those things is because you are engaged in the sexual immorality. Those things, anxiety, fear, worry, feeling overwhelmed, feeling broken, those are all forms of death. Sexual immorality is causing harm. It's hurting you. Stop. Stop engaging in the sexual immorality. Flee from the sexual immorality. And on top of that, it's not only causing harm to you and maybe to others, it's ultimately causing harm to your relationship with God. Look what the text says. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? How do you engage in sexual immorality as a follower of Jesus knowing that the Holy Spirit of God is living inside of you? It creates a wall. It creates a division. It creates a separation. Do you feel distant from God this morning? Do you feel like God is not present in your life? A reason may be that you are engaged in sexual immorality and it is causing that separation. And then finally, please note what Paul says there. Your body is not your own. You were bought at a price. We live in a world that keeps assuring us that our bodies are our own and we can make our own choices regarding our bodies. As a follower of Jesus Christ, that is not true. Jesus makes decisions for you and Jesus makes decisions for me. I do not get to make choices about my body and you do not get to make choices about your body because you were bought at a price. Jesus died on that cross to forgive you of your sins and at that point he purchased you with his blood. 
He washed you clean and he gave you freedom and he now owns you and he owns me. We cannot make our own choices. Jesus makes our choices. Flee from the sexual immorality because it causes harm. Harm to you, harm to others, and ultimately harm to your relationship with God. And then the fifth principle, be willing to pay the price. Be willing to pay the price. Joseph had to pay the price. He did the right thing. But when he refused, when he rejected Potiphar's wife, you can see, you can hear, you read the anger that swelled up inside of her. And she goes and tells her house servants and she tells her husband and Joseph gets thrown in prison for doing the right thing. He paid the price. God recognizes when we do the right thing. Other people also recognize when we do the right thing. And if they are doing the wrong thing, they do usually don't like it when you are doing the right thing. You know this is the case. You know this is the case. You think about this. It's the person in the class that breaks the curve by studying and getting the A that everybody else is upset with. That person did the right thing. She got the A. And everybody else is mad because they did the wrong thing and didn't get the A. You, this is, we all kind of do this. We live in a world that is going to recognize when you do the right thing and they know they're doing the wrong thing. And instead of changing to do the right thing, they're just going to ridicule you. They're going to mock you. You may lose your job. You may lose friends. You may even be thrown into prison. The world may turn on you. Friends may turn on you. People may turn on you. God will never turn on you if you do the right thing. God was with Joseph in the prison. He was willing to pay the price. And it would be far worse if we lose God than losing the approval of man. Be willing to pay the price. And then sixth and finally, commit to purity. Commit to purity. I have to believe that Joseph already had the answer no in his head before Potiphar's wife ever propositioned him. And we're the same way. You have to know what you're going to do. You have to know how you are going to respond before you are ever tempted by anything. You have to recognize the guardrails and you have to choose to live within the guardrails and you have to know what your answer is going to be. You have to be willing to say no. That is part of committing to purity. But you also have to be willing to say yes to God's beautiful plan. That is also part of purity. God doesn't just tell us say no. He says say yes as well. It is all part of committing to purity. There's an interesting, I'm, okay, I'm running out of time. I'm sorry. There's an interesting part of Genesis 39 that is so fascinating to me. The same excuses that Joseph uses to avoid Potiphar's wife and to say no are the exact same rationales he could have used to say yes. 
to Potiphar's wife. It becomes a matter of perspective. And Joseph has the perspective of God. He recognizes and he knows the guardrails and he chooses to stay with him. So his rationale is one that lines with God's will instead of man's will. The same reasons could be used to say yes to Potiphar's wife, but Joseph, because he committed to purity, uses those reasons and those rationales to say no to her to honor his heavenly father. Six principles. Know God's beautiful plan. Recognize sexual immorality. Flee from sexual immorality. Be aware that sexual immorality causes harm. Be willing to pay the price. Commit to sexual purity. Six principles that help us stay within God's guardrail. And now I want to leave you with just two things. Two things. If you are here this morning and you know someone who is engaged in sexual immorality or struggling with one form, another of sexual immorality, my encouragement this morning to you is love them. Love them. Demonstrate God's mercy and his grace and his kindness to them. God tells us that kindness leads to repentance. And as you're thinking about their activity, as you're thinking about their behavior, remember this, remember this, that there is not one of us in this room that at one time or another has not struggled with sexual immorality. Did you hear me? Now, you may be past it now. I don't know. Maybe at 80, your sexual immorality button goes off. I don't know. But there is not one of us that at one time or another, and maybe even today, is not struggling with sexual immorality. So recognize that. And the grace that you want to receive from Jesus, the mercy that you want to receive from Jesus, please share that mercy and grace with the person who is struggling. They don't need your judgment. They don't need your harassment. They don't need your meanness. They don't need your nitpicking. They need Jesus's love. And the only way they are going to see Jesus's love is if you show it to them. Kindness leads to repentance. And then secondly, if you're here this morning and you are in the immediate time and you are struggling with sexual immorality, whatever it is, whatever it is, Jesus has his arms open wide. And he's just saying, come on, man. Just come to me. Lay it at my feet. Lay it at the cross. Ask me for forgiveness. Repent. And Jesus' promise is a promise of mercy, of grace, of love, and of kindness. He's welcoming you with open arms. And when you ask for forgiveness, he is faithful and he is just to forgive. And in and through his forgiveness, he washes you clean. He washes you white as snow. And he gives you freedom from the bondage that is the sexual immorality. Do you feel bound this morning? Jesus says, come to me. And I'm going to wash you and I'm going to make you free and I'm going to give you life. God has given us guardrails. He's given us guardrails for our safety and for our protection and ultimately for our good. And so that we can show our love for him. Let's pray.
Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.